Just turn with me to John 17. John chapter 17. I won't ask you to stand because it's a lengthy portion. I'm going to read the entire chapter. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, 
I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you again for your precious word. Make it a lamp to our feet and a light to our path this morning. Oh, how much we need you. How much we need you. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you for wearing the thorns on your brow. How we thank you for your faithfulness this morning. And we thank you for praying for us. Thank you, Father, for hearing your son's prayer. That we may be delivered from the wrath to come. Oh, forgive us of our sins. Even our mourning sins. Father, you are so worthy that we shall worship you with all of our might. Forgive us when we are spiritually lazy. Help us to engage with you this morning. Oh, Spirit of God, help us this morning, we pray. We need you this morning. Strengthen these minds, strengthen these bodies this morning. Help the children this morning, those who do not understand. Give them understanding this morning. You are so great and greatly to be praised. We adore you just seems like our adoration is so small when you are so big. Thank you for filling us with good things or for withholding what we actually deserve and giving us so much, especially in giving us your son. Thank you for the greatest gift that a human being can ever receive. Now, Father, give me the tongue of the learned so that I may speak a word in season. Help me to be an encouragement to your people this morning, not a hindrance, but an encouragement to your people this morning. Take my lips and speak through them, we pray. Father, we can't help but pray for Brother Jeff this morning. Please give him healing to that body. Hold him up and comfort his heart and bless Sister Myra as well. Lord, they need you. Be gracious to them. Father, I think of the Rogers family this morning and the loss of my good friend, Harold Rogers. Lord Jesus, your prayer has been answered again. 
We pray that your people will see you in glory. And now he's beholding you in glory. Strengthen his wife and children this morning. Help the family, we pray. And now, Father, direct our attention toward you. Magnify the precious name of Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Jesus has enjoyed an emotional meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper because it will be his Last Supper. He has instructed them that the one whose presence they have enjoyed is departing Mother Earth. Now, his hour has come. And that is the hour of agony. He has accomplished the righteous living, the perfection that God required for his people. Now he is on his way to accomplish the sacrificial dying, the payment that God required of his people. That's for this sense. Jesus is ours away from the cross. He is bound for Calvary, knowing full well the things that will befall him there. Nevertheless, nevertheless, none of those things moved him. Neither did he count his life dear to himself so that he would finish his course with joy. And all of these things, Jesus' heart is not set on himself, but is set on others. Just as a reminder, he came not for himself. He lived not for himself. He was insulted, but not for himself. He worked miracles, but not for himself. And now he prays not simply for himself, but for others. Usually, usually when a person is going to die, others are praying for him. But in this sense, in this sense, the one who is dying is praying for the ones who will be living. What an encouragement. It is a prayer that is focused on the well-being of others. I hope you heard it when I read it. It is a prayer that changed everything in history. Everything. So we come back to our subject, the prayer that changed everything. Part six. We have seen how Jesus, how that Jesus prayed for his glorification. And in return, that would be the father's glorification. Glorify me 
so that I will glorify thee. It is that honor and splendor would be bestowed upon him and his father. He would be exalted, lifted up on high, but that exaltation will come by way of suffering. The beating must take place. The crowny thorn or the thorny crown has to be worn. The nails have to be driven into those hands that touch blind eyes and leprous bodies. The nails have to be driven into those feet that went about doing good. He must suffer in order to be glorified. Jesus testified that he has been authorized. This is the beginning of the chapter. Verse 2, Jesus has testified that he's been authorized by his Father to give eternal life to as many as the Father has gifted to him. Those who come to him, he will in no wise cast away. And that's good news. He said that this eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Maybe I should put it this way. This life consists of knowing the true God and his son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. It is fellowship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all of his children. We have also seen how Jesus put his Father's name on display. We saw the name, that the name equaled the person. The person, the name was attached to the person. It was his qualities, his character, his attributes. Jesus demonstrated the Father's overwhelming love for sinners. You cannot read the Gospels and not see it unless you're blind. The Father's overwhelming love for sinners. The fact that Jesus came into the world is a demonstration of God's love. He demonstrated the love in his interaction with sinners. The ultimate, however, the ultimate demonstration of God's love you see on Calvary. He would be crushed insulted, mock, and bearing the wrath of Almighty God for sinners. Not only did he demonstrate the Father's love, but we saw also that he demonstrated the Father's patience. His ministry was one of great patience. If you are here this morning, let me tell you something right now. You may have not thought about it, but God has demonstrated great patience toward you. Or you wouldn't even be here. We experience on a day-by-day basis the, the awesomeness, the almighty patience of God. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we experience patience. I remember when a, a good pastor friend of mine, he's not a pastor anymore, old man said to me, I say, you know what, man, I just can't put up 
with, with this. I can't put up with this. Man, I'm just tired of it. I can't even do it. I don't even want to listen to the foolishness. And he said to me, he said, brother, let me ask you, uh, just think about it for a moment. God puts up with foolishness 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can't put up with it for a couple of hours? That was like a dagger, y'all. <laughs> 24-7, God is insulted, but you see patience. I'm so glad that God doesn't get bent out of shape like us. He's not a walking time bomb. He doesn't have a, <laughs> you can't push his button so quickly. He demonstrates patience. Jesus also demonstrated the Father's mercy and kindness throughout his ministry, his interaction with sinners. I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but did you, know, did you know that Jesus, Jesus made time for everyone who came to him? Everyone. Everyone. I can't even imagine such a thing. When it came to a blind beggar or a blind man, crying out for mercy when the crowd wanted, even his own disciples wanted him to stop, uh, keep on, Jesus stood still. He made time. He made time. Even when the Syrophoenician woman came and said, can you help my daughter? Jesus act like he didn't hear her. And the disciples said, send her away. And then Jesus says, not me, it's not fit for me to give the children bread to dogs. I'm going to say, I know, Lord, but yes, and the dogs eat the crumbs that just fall from the master's table. I just want a crumb. Jesus made time for everyone. He demonstrated the Father's mercy and kindness throughout his ministry. Lord, help us to minister that way. We also saw how Jesus welcomed the gift that the Father gave to him. Listen to the gift. A group of sinners. What kind of gift is that? Here you go, son. What are you giving me, Father? Here you go, sinners. Those who don't think right, talk right, act right. The motives are not even right. Here's your gift, son. Go a little further. Son, here's your gift. They hate you. What a gift. Jesus didn't say, I don't want it. He said, I'll take it. I'll take it. The gift doesn't look like much in the eyes of the world. May I say that again? The gift does not look like much in the eyes of the world. But it is everything in the eyes of Jesus because it came from his father. In our last message, we saw that Jesus prayed for his disciples' preservation and unification. He called on his father to keep his disciples. He knew that they would have to live in a world that's hostile to Jesus. He knew it. They will need to be kept. They will need to be protected. They will need some 
outside strength. Human strength won't cut it in this world. You need an outside source. You need strength that is generated from somewhere else or you're not going to make it. They need a protection. But that's not all they needed. They would also need to be unified. <laughs> I, I don't know how to, well, let me see if I can say it this way. If there's not unity, we're not going to stand. It's not going to happen. What is the basis of the unity? He said, just like we are. Did you hear his language? One like we are, father and son. That's the model of the unity. That is a high model for unity among the children of God. It is the father and the son. They are not fighting with one another. Did you know that? The son is not against the father and the father is not against the son. They are not warring against one another. They are not putting things up on the internet about one another. They're not doing that. Not the father and the son. Matter of fact, you do know they are talking to one another, don't you? They don't stop talking to each other for six months, two years, eight years, ten years. Not the father and the son. Jesus prays for the unity. Not that they will become one. No, that they are one. And they should act like it. Father and the Son, unify, not that they would bite and devour one another. I want to quote my friend Thomas Brooks one more time. In his farewell address, he said, he said it. He saw that it was unnatural, listen, unnatural for Christians to stir up division among themselves. May I say that again? He thought it was unnatural for Christians to stir up division among themselves. He said this, for wolves to worry, that's vex or distress, for wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. That's no surprise. But for one lamb to worry another is unnatural and monstrous. He said, I get it. If the wolves come in the stir up thing, but I can't get it. I don't understand it. When the lamb, the sheep, is fighting the sheep. He said, I don't understand that. Jesus prayed for our preservation as well as for our unification. And we should be working hard at it. Not only did Jesus pray for the disciples' preservation and unification, but he prayed for the disciples' jubilation. <laughs> Children, that just means joy. Their joy. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. <clears throat> Jesus prays for his disciples' jubilation, but there's something else in there, and I'm focusing on verses 12 and 13. There's something else in there that's striking. Jesus also prays concerning someone's condemnation. Stick with me a little bit. After requesting that his father would preserve through his own name those whom he will be leaving behind, Jesus mentions how he has guarded those 
same ones during his earthly ministry. He mentions the preservation of the father in verse 11. In verse 12, he says this right here. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Verse 11, he tells the father, preserve them, keep them in your name. I have kept them in your name. I think there's an interesting connection. I think there's a, a hand in hand with what Jesus is saying here from John chapter 10. Stay with me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall, listen, never, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Notice verse 11 in chapter 17. Father, preserve them. They're in your hands. I have preserved them. They're in my hand. He has kept, he has kept in his own strength those whom the Father has given to him. He has given careful attention to them throughout his ministry. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he instructed, protected, and even warned his disciples. He taught them the blessedness of kingdom life while journeying on earth. Those who have an appetite for righteousness shall have their full satisfaction. Matthew chapter 5. He showed them how to have compassion, how to have compassion on what we may call the less fortunate. You can't miss that in Jesus' ministry. He would purposely, purposely touch the unclean, purposely. He'd go, ooh, that's not what Jesus did. He purposely touched the unclean, making them clean. If you saved this morning, guess what? You were unclean. I hope that's not surprising to you. But if it is, I'm going to tell you, you were unclean. And Jesus touched you so that you may become clean. He would minister to the homeless. Did you know that? Jesus ministered to the homeless. Think about the demoniac. He's living in the cemetery. That's not a home. Just in case you didn't know, he's out of control. He's out of his mind and he's actually out of his clothes. But when he met Jesus, <laughs> things change. <laughs> Jesus went over. Jesus went over on the other side just for that man. And when Jesus was done with him, he was in his clothes, in his mind and under, under control. That's what happens. <laughs> That's what happens when Jesus shows up on the scene and he changes people. He changes them forever. How did demoniac respond? She had the same response. He said, I just want to go with you. <laughs> I've been delivered. I just want to be with you, Lord. I just want to go with you. He said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why don't you just go back to the city that you came from and you just tell them everything the Lord has done for you. Go and testify, not test the lie, testify of what I have done. Amen. We should be doing the same thing. If our mouth is closed, why? <laughs> has Jesus done anything for you? Oh, your mouth should be wide open. 
Jesus showed them compassion. He taught them how to be compassionate. And you see that in the book of Acts. They learned from the master. And we should be compassionate as well. So he's kept the disciples. And he reminds the father of that. Not that the father had forgotten anything. That he have kept those. But then he says something interesting. None are lost. None of them is lost but the son of perdition. This text seems strange in the light of what Jesus just said. The text tells us that no one was lost but, but the son of perdition. I have to just pause here. And just ask, uh, uh, well, no, just let me say this. What is meant by the word son, a son of perdition? The word simply means son of destruction. That's what it simply means. The words carry a sense of ruin. It means being lost for all of eternity. Well, the next question is, who is the son of perdition? He doesn't give a name here. Who is it? It was Judas Iscariot. But I think there's a question we have to put on the table. Was Judas ever found, rescued, or saved? Jesus said lost right here. I've lost none of them. I have kept them and none of them is lost except. How does that work together? How you've kept and lost. You have to ask the question. Just ask in the text the question. That's all. You have to answer it. Did Judas have salvation and lost it? Jesus said in John chapter 10, they will never perish. And he said, I've kept them, but one is lost. What in all this? What, what is he talking about? You know, you have folks that say you can lose your salvation. It's right here. Jesus had, Judas had it and he lost it. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, let's let's think about it for a little bit. Did he ever have it in the first place? The question begs an answer. But before we do that, let's just consider the privileges that Judas had. The privileges. Judas was handpicked by Jesus. Judas was handpicked by Jesus to be a part of Jesus's ministerial staff. Judas. Mark says this to us. And he, Jesus, goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him and he ordained twelve that they should be with him. Notice that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip, 
and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and the son Thaddeus and Simon, the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, handpicked by Jesus. Think about the privileges that Judas enjoyed. Judas had private Bible studies with Jesus. Private Bible studies with Jesus. When Jesus spoke a parable and the disciples did not understand, Jesus took them aside privately and explained it to them. Judas was there. Private Bible studies with Jesus. Judas heard firsthand the authoritative teaching of Jesus firsthand. He heard, listen, he heard that not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He heard it. He heard because he was there when Jesus said, except you repent, you shall in no wise perish. He heard it. He heard Jesus say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Judas heard that. He was there. He heard when Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He heard it. He heard when Christ said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He heard Jesus say, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Judas heard it. Judas not only heard Jesus' teaching, Judas saw firsthand the miracle working power of Jesus. Firsthand, his eyes saw it. He was there when Jesus made the lame to walk. He was there when Jesus made the blind to see. He was there when Jesus caused the deaf to hear. He was there when Jesus caused the dumb to speak. He was there when Jesus raised the dead to life. Judas was there. Listen to this. Judas was taught to pray by Jesus. Are you listening? Judas was taught to pray by Jesus. When one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples, Jesus said to them, to them, listen what Jesus said. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Give us this day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also Forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Luke chapter 11. Judas heard that from the master. Judas saw the miracles. He heard Jesus' teaching and Jesus even taught him how to pray. 
Judas had a special place in the ministry. Judas was the treasurer. He took in the tithes and offerings. He paid the bills. Judas bought the things that were needed for the ministry. Judas was given the task of taking care of the poor. My friends, listen, Judas had a vital part in Jesus' ministry. Why in the world was Judas then the son of perdition? Can I keep it simple? I don't know why I said I'm going to try it anyways. Judas was a fake. Judas had a vital part in Jesus' ministry, yet Judas was a fake. And the scary thing is this right here. The other disciples never knew it. Are you listening? (laughs) The other disciples never knew it. He was a fake. Judas never had an interest in Jesus. He was just along for the ride. Judas cut a deal. Judas cut a deal for Jesus' assassination just to add to the money that he was stealing as the treasurer. Judas would betray Jesus for just a few shillings, just a few dollars. May I ask a question this morning? What would you betray Jesus for? Maybe it's the glamour of the world. What would you portray him for? Judas was a betrayer, a deceiver, and a thief. He saw Jesus. He touched Jesus. He heard Jesus. He sat with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He laughed with Jesus, but he hated Jesus. He did all those things. Judas firsthand. My friends, listen. You can wear a mask. Did you know that? Are you listening? You can wear a mask, a mask and pretend all day long. But like an old man once told me, he was a lost old man. He said, you only can pretend for so long. It happened with Judas. Who wouldn't want the privileges that Judas had? We have to behold Jesus by faith. He beheld him by sight. And that's all he had was sight. Sooner or later, the mask has to come off. Sooner or later. Here's the scary thing. Here's the scary thing. We should get a grip or grasp of this. Here's the scary thing. That someone can be among Jesus' disciple and not be a real disciple. A devil in human skin. 
We would love to have the privileges that Judas had. Just to hear the voice, hear the tone of the voice of Jesus. Just to see him when he touched someone, when he sat down, just to hear him pray. Just to hear the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Just to be around Jesus. He's the most popular preacher going on in his day. The mighty miracle worker and the powerful preacher. What a privilege it would be to be around Jesus. One could say, we've seen him do things we've never seen. And that amazing scene of Jesus walking on water, Judas saw it. It wasn't a fiction. It wasn't like Alice in Wonderland. He saw Jesus walking on the water with his own eyes. And all of what kind of man is this? Yet Judas was a fake. Judas had all of those privileges. Please listen. And Judas threw all of those privileges away. To satisfy his lust. He threw it all away. He valued other things more than he did Jesus. But we do the same thing. Throw away all the privileges. You know, people do that all the time. I don't want God anymore. I I can't see him, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't want any of this stuff. What are you going to live for? You. That's misery. (laughs) That's misery coming. You're already in a hopeless world. You need the anchor of hope. Jesus Christ. I think I hear Judas saying something, though. Here's what I think I hear Judas saying. Listen to Judas. Oh, don't throw away the privileges. That God has given to you. Do you hear Judas? You have a Bible that is the voice of God to you. You have hymns so that you can sing to God. You have those who preach to you the word of God. And you have those who encourage you in the things of God. Don't throw away your privileges. Do you hear Judas? He said, I can't get mine back, but you have yours now. Don't throw them away. About to push this whole thing over. Don't throw away your privileges lest you become a son or daughter of perdition. That's Judas. This world, listen, this world will give you and me everything we want but it won't give us everything we need. Are you listening? It will give us everything we want if it's not God. But it cannot give you what you need. It can't give you the love of God, forgiveness of sin, fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a heavenly home, and a large family which no man can number. Can't give you that. This world cannot give you satisfaction. I've said it before, and I use that analogy again. It can give you cotton candy because it doesn't last long. Puffed up sugar. Seems good to you, but it's not good for you. Judas lost it 
all. He lost it all. How about you? Well, you do the same. I hope not. He became, as Jesus said in the passage, the son of perdition. No, Jesus was not the kept one because Judas never was one. That's why at the last day, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is going to separate sheep from goat, tares from wheat. Judas was among the disciples, but Judas never had a love for Jesus. Judas was so bold. Let me tell you how far deception goes. When Jesus said at the last, when Jesus said that they had the, the, the supper together, not the Lord's Supper, but had a meal together, and, and he said, one of you shall betray me. They began one by one to say, is it I? Wait a minute, is it I? Well, Judas had to say something, right? That's how deception works. He said, is it I? He had already cut the deal. How bold to say to the master who knows it all, is it I? Jesus said, you said it. See, Judas cannot sit there quiet when it's going around and John says, is it I? And the next one says, is it I? Judas can't say, you know what? He has to say, is it I? He has to join the group. That's how deception works. You have to put on. So deceiving was Judas. He even said, hail master, when he came to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Hail master and kissed him. Kisses of an enemy are still deceitful. You have to put on. We don't want you to do that. I don't want to put on and I don't want you to put on. Judas lost everything and Judas became the son of perdition. But it's something interesting still in verse 12. After Jesus said that, listen, he said that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Even in Jesus's prayer, his focus is on fulfillment of scripture. That's his ministry. He said in the text that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus has his mind on prophecy and its fulfillment. This fulfillment has to do with the son of perdition. Don't miss it. During the supper, as I said, in John 13, when Jesus rose up from supper, he took a towel and a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet. Peter began to complain by saying, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. I love Peter's response. Don't stop at feet. <laughs> he said, my hands, my head, wash me. Jesus said to him, he that is washed, neither not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, listen, but not all. Not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. He goes on to say, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. Listen, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. What is it, Jesus? He that eateth bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. His mind is on the scriptures. Here he quotes 
Psalm 41, verse 9, where it says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Well, you might say, when, when the bread, take and take, bread eating take place, I said it's in the upper room. When Jesus said, one of his shall betray him, one by one, I said, the disciples said, is it I? And Jesus said to Judas, you have said it. Jesus' prayer focuses, focuses on the fulfillment even of Scripture. Judas was never a sheep. He didn't have salvation in the first place. He was around the Savior, but he didn't have the Savior. And that's a scary thing. You can be around Jesus, you can talk about Jesus, and still not have Jesus. How much closer can a person get to Jesus than Judas and still not have him? Jesus understands. Verse 13, he said, now and now come I to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus prays now for his disciples jubilation. He understands that it's time for him to go back to his heavenly home. This implies, as we said before, he knows he knows he's going to die, but he also knows he's not going to stay dead. If I'm coming back to you, it has to be a resurrection. Has to be. Jesus is confident that that's coming. His life doesn't simply stop with Calvary. It goes beyond Calvary. Even I know, even as I know I'm coming home, here's my request. What is the request? I want them joyful. It's right there in verse 13. I want them joyful. Filled with joy. Well, what is joy? It is an internal gladness. An internal gladness that stems from a heart that is moved by God and that is fixed on God. Amen. Can I give that to you again? Again, find a dictionary. I just come up with some things sometimes. <laughs> but what is joy? It is an internal gladness that stems from a heart moved by God and is fixed on God. I am not talking about happiness. And listen, I like being happy. <laughs> but happiness depends on circumstances. Did you know that? Happiness depends on circumstances. Well, I'm not happy today. Why? Well, you know, a particular circumstance going on. Happiness depends on circumstances, but joy stems from the heart. It depends on God himself. <clears throat> Well, it's a joy that's fixed in God himself. We ought to see Jesus Christ as the center of our joy. He should be our joy and our sorrow. Are you with me? He should be our joy and our sorrow, that internal gladness I'm talking about. It has nothing to do with circumstances. The disciples were threatened and even beaten, and they still had joy right there in the book of Acts. Joy, they rejoice. That's right. Because it didn't have to do with circumstances. It's internal. 
It's all wrapped up in God. We want to see that joy, that glorious joy. I'm talking about joy, God's great joy. Joy, joy down in the soul, sweet, beautiful, soul-saving joy. It comes from God. Well, how would the disciples experience the fullness of that joy Jesus is praying about? Here's what I think. I think Jesus connects it. If they are going to experience the joy that Jesus talks about, listen, it will come through unification. Are you listening? It will come through unification. Preserve them that they may be one so that the joy could be full. It will come through unification. Why will I say something like that? Because disunity destroys joy. It kills it. It is the joy killer. It kills the joy of individuals. It kills the joys of families. And it kills the joy of churches. Disunity. You ever seen a disunified body and everybody joyful? No. No. I couldn't understand when I was much younger... My grandma used to say, son, misery love company. What? <laughs> and when I got older, I understood exactly what she was talking about. <laughs> Some people are miserable. They just want everybody to be, why are you so happy? Why? why? I, want, I want everybody to be miserable. Hmm. I can't spend my life miserable. When you, have, when you don't have Jesus, then you spend most of your life miserable. You have nothing to live for. You see, when you and I, anybody, when a body is disunified, that's not even a word, but I like the way it sounds. When a body is disunified, can't view one another correctly. Cannot. You can't. You have to wear what I just said earlier. You have to wear an invisible mask. You have to. Because you have to put on. If there is no unification, listen, if there is no unification, there is not going to be good communication. Are you with me? If a husband and wife is not unified, you're not going to have good communication. It's not going to happen. You may have a particular view. Brother Jeff has been hitting on the conscience. That's not what I'm trying to do this morning, okay? Not in that sense. You may have a particular view, a particular preference, and we all have preferences. A particular preference. If you have to go to the word of God to find support for that view or preference, you're already in trouble. You're already in trouble. Mr. Brother Clarence, why you say that? Because it lets me know you didn't base it on the word of God in the first place. That's why. You got to find something so you can have your view, your perspective. You didn't start with the book. <laughs> you got something said, so let me go to the book. <laughs> Anyways, be quiet, Clarence. I think some of the things we pitch a fit about. Some of the things we put a fit about and break fellowship over. Can I just use my Carolina language a little bit? Some of the things we break fellowship over are low stuff. 
low stuff. Low stuff. Some of the time, some of the time, and maybe even most of the time, there is no sin involved at all except our attitudes. That's it. I hope we see the connection. We cannot have disunity and joy at the same time. They can't live together. When I was embarking on my Christian journey some 20 or so years ago, an old man said to me, he said, son, let me tell you what joy is. <laughs> I listen to old people sometimes. He said, let me tell you what joy is, son. I said, yes, sir. He said, joy is Jesus, others, and yourself. I said, what? Well, that's simple. I like that acronym. <laughs> he said, Jesus, others, and yourself. He said, don't get it. Twist it up. Don't get it out of order. He said, if you focus on Jesus and you focus on others, you won't have time to focus on yourself. Joy and internal gladness. Let's press on a little more because the clock is ticking away. To do this, to have this joy, or to have this unification coupled with this joy, we have to have, listen, Christ-like humility. It's not going to happen any other way. You can't come around with your chest sticking out. That's not going to help joy, and that's not going to help unity. Anybody who's been married for more than a day, <laughs> know, I mean, you know, you know, you know, if you are going to have a good marriage, you have to have some marital compromise. Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe I should say that again because I don't know if they listen. You got to have marital compromise. Everything can't go your way and everything can't go your wife's way. But you got to have some compromise somewhere. Oh, you could be. Oh, anyways. You could just say, hey, yes, dear. <laughs> you say yes to everything. That won't be as wise. We got to have some Christ-like humility. We have to have it. We have to be humbled. We have to say as the old, the old church father, Justin Martyr, would say, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility. If we are going to have unification, if we are going to be overflowing with joy, we have to see others. The glory of Jesus, as my friend said, others. And maybe something to fall to ourselves. This high joy, if we are going to have this high joy that Jesus is praying about, self-denying unity is what we have to have. I said earlier, the son was not fighting the father, and the father was not fighting the son. Disunity breaks everything. Listen, young people, listen. Satan is after your mind, just like he's after the minds of adults. I hope you know that. You may not believe that, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. Satan is after your mind, because if he has your, your mind, he has you. He is crafty. He's smarter than you are. Did you know that? He's way smarter than you are. He has more tricks than you can count, and he knows how to use them effectively. He's been at this a long time. Satan has been studying one group, sinners, for a long time. 
He knows what to put before you. He knows, listen, believe it or not, he knows what will save you and he knows what will destroy you. He knows it. He knows Jesus is the Savior. He knows that. He knows Jesus better than you know Jesus. And he also knows this book. He can always take what it says and turn it into something it never meant. He's after your mind. He wants it. Paul understood this. Paul understood the trickery of the devil. He understood it when he said this right here. But if our gospel be hid, literally concealed. If our gospel be hid, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world, listen, the God of this world, literally the God of this age, has blinded the mind of them which believe not. Now, why would he do that? You have to ask the question, why would he do that? Is Satan that bad? Oh, he's worse. Why would he do that? Why would he blind the mind? Why would he blind people's mind? Paul tells us, that's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. He don't want you to see Jesus. That's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let's keep them in darkness. Let's fill up the lake of fire. He won't tell you that. Oh, my friend, Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil so people like you and me could be set free. Free, really free. When you're set free, you know how to use this world. You see the world for what it really is. You behold God's glorious creation because you focus now on the glorious creator. You really have freedom until you have freedom in Jesus Christ. You are in bondage. You are in bondage. But you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that way. God has sent forth his glorious son made of a woman. To redeem, them, uh, to redeem them from the curse of the law, those who were under the law, and we were, all way, we were all under the curse of that law. He sent his son into the world to redeem us, to purchase us, to rescue us. Do you want Jesus? You can have him if you want him. Do you know that? God isn't stingy. He gives his son. You can have him if you want him. Well, Brother Clarence, I don't know if he's going to receive me. And I've said some bad things. I've did some bad things. I've thought some bad things. Even I had bad motives. Hallelujah, welcome to the sinner's club. You're the kind of people Jesus saves. The very kind Jesus saved. Jesus doesn't say, clean yourself up and come to me. No, he doesn't say that. Come to me and all your heavy ladenness and all of your mess, come to me and I'll give you rest. He's the sure resting place. You will not be disappointed. His blood can cleanse any sinner of any sin. Your sin isn't too great. It may be great sins, but it's not greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. He delights in saving sinners. Just think about it a moment. If you came to Jesus, those are you who are without Jesus. If you came to Jesus, heaven will rejoice. Did you know that? 
It might not make the news, but it'll make the news in heaven. The news station of heaven will be running ads all day long that you've repented and another one will now come home. Don't be like Judas. He had it all. Now it's too late. You have the breath of life in your body. God has created you. Would you dare? Would you be so bold to despise your own creator? Would you be that bold? Are you that hardened in heart to despise your own creator? Oh, children, little children, love the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves the little children. He says, sing that little song. Y'all remember? Jesus loved the little children. I know sometimes we might not like, that's too babyish. Oh, I, like, I need baby stuff for me. <laughs> Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I need the baby stuff. Those of you who are in Christ, you could rejoice. You could rejoice. This great joy, labor at unity. But you have this great joy that Jesus has been talking about. He prayed for you. Oh, man, you can say hallelujah a thousand times and do backflips that Jesus prayed for you. Mom may have prayed for you and dad may have prayed for you. And those are wonderful things and they should. But let me tell you something. Jesus prayed for you and the father heard him. If you are saved, the father heard him. The father answered that prayer. And if I can say it this way, he prayed for you before there was a you. (laughs) He knew, listen, he knew I was going to turn things upside down. He knew it. He knew I was going to shipwreck my life. He knew it. He knew it. Praying for that one right there. That one right there, Father. I want him to believe the words of my disciples. And somebody gave me a Bible. Did you hear me? (laughs) Somebody gave me a Bible, the words of his disciples. You have the privilege as you are in a land where we have more Bibles. Listen, you can find a Bible anywhere in this country. Walmart even has them. (laughs) You can find it in the dollar store. A dollar and a quarter now, but a dollar and a quarter store. (laughs) You can find it anywhere. Bibles in this country are easy to come by. They're just not read much. Did you hear what I said? They're just not read much. (laughs) May God forgive us for that. You can rejoice because Jesus prayed for you. The Father heard that prayer and the Father sent the Spirit and got on your trail. He's saying the Spirit to turn you around, causing you to do the about face and a forward march to Calvary. He roped you in, didn't he? He wrapped you up in his love. You didn't see him coming because you can't see him. But he saw you all the while, and he wrapped you up and brought you to Jesus. And when he showed you your sins and you saw them, he showed you your sins not all at one time because it will kill you. But when he started showing you your sins and the preciousness of Jesus, you can't help but let the tears flow down from the eyes and say, you will forgive me of all of this stuff. Some of us don't want to talk about our past. Pretty bad for some of us. But I'm glad that on Judgment Day, 
I don't have to wear my bad. I wear my good because it comes from Jesus Christ. He covers all of our shame. He covers all of our guilt. He covers all of our nastiness. They're all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. What a glorious day that will be. What a day that will be to see him. Not to get some crown. Just to see the king. Just to see the ones who, the one who, who was nailed on Calvary, the one who marched up the Calvary, the one who prayed for me. It's all right to talk to Paul, and it's all right to talk to Peter, but Paul and Peter stay to the side for me. I just want to see Jesus right now. See Jesus. That's the one who loved me, and that's the one who gave himself for me, and all you want to do is just bob. Not only bawl in tears, but fall down before him and say, what do you want me to do? This is the prayer, y'all, that changed everything. It changed uh, clock. Let's stop. Uh, Let me just say this, and we'll quit. Jesus has given his life. For us. And Jesus has rose again for us. And Jesus has ascended on high for us. I don't know how many times we have to say this, but we're probably going to say this until we die. And Jesus has ascended on high for us. But guess what? Jesus is also coming back for us. He's coming back again. Listen, he's coming back again. Listen, don't think for a moment, oh, he's not coming. It may be 15 million years from now. It may be, but he's still coming back. And in 15 million years, guess what? You will be dead. Where are you going to be? Are you going to be with Judas? Or are you going to be with Jesus? Oh, we want you with Jesus. We want you with Jesus. We want you to love Jesus, and we want you to know Jesus. Trust King Jesus, and all will be well. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you again for this time together. How we thank you for the King who prayed for our joy. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, be the center of our joy. May we find all of our contentment in you. Oh, satisfy us over and over again, we pray. Bless all who gathered this morning. Encourage them, refresh them, and build them up. Love on them, we pray, and hear our cry. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Let us sing. Grace, can I get you? Let us sing one more before we close for the day. Hymn number six. Let us stand together.
all the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his, his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.